Chapter fifty one, part five of the History of the Decline and Fall of the Roman Empire, volume five. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The History of the Decline and Fall of the Roman Empire by Edward Gibbon, volume five. Chapter fifty one, part five. Syria one of the countries that have been improved by the most early cultivation, is not unworthy of the preference. The heat of the climate is tempered by the vicinity of the sea and mountains, by the plenty of wood and water, and the produce of a fertile soil affords the subsistence, and encourages the propagation, of men and animals. From the age of David to that of Heraclius, the country was overspread with ancient and flourishing cities, the inhabitants were numerous and wealthy, and after the slow ravage of despotism and superstition, after the recent calamities of the Persian War, Syria could still attract and reward the rapacious tribes of the desert. A plain, of ten days' journey, from Damascus to Aleppo and Antioch, is watered on the western side by the winding course of the Orontes. The hills of Libanus and Antilibanus are planted from north to south, between the Orontes and the Mediterranean, and the epithet of hollow, Classyria, was applied to a long and fruitful valley, which is confined in the same direction, by the two ridges of snowy mountains. Among the cities, which are enumerated by Greek and Oriental names in the geography and conquest of Syria, we may distinguish Emesia or Hemis, Heliopolis or Baalbek, the former as the metropolis of the plain, the latter as the capital of the valley. Under the last of the Caesars they were strong and populous, the turrets glittered from afar, an ample space was covered with public and private buildings, and the citizens were illustrious by their spirit, or at least by their pride, by their riches, or at least by their luxury. In the days of paganism both Emesa and Heliopolis were addicted to the worship of Baal, or the sun, but the decline of their superstition and splendor has been marked by a singular variety of fortune." Not a vestige remains of the temple of Emesa, which was equalled in poetic style to the summits of Mount Libanus, while the ruins of Baalbek, invisible to the writers of antiquity, excite the curiosity and wonder of the European traveller. The measure of the temple is two hundred feet in length, and one hundred in breadth. The front is adorned with a double portico of eight columns. Fourteen may be counted on either side, and each column, forty-five feet in height, is composed of three massy blocks of stone or marble. The proportions and ornaments of the Corinthian order express the architecture of the Greeks, but as Baalbek has never been the seat of a monarch, we are at a loss to conceive how the expense of these magnificent structures could be supplied by private or municipal liberality. From the conquest of Damascus the Saracens proceeded to Heliopolis and Emesa, but I shall decline the repetition of the sallies and combats, which have been already shown on a larger scale. In the prosecution of the war, their policy was not less effectual than their sword. By short and separate truces they dissolved the unity of the enemy, accustomed the Syrians to compare their friendship with their enmity, familiarized the idea of their language, religion, and manners, and exhausted, by clandestine purchase, the magazines and arsenals of the cities which they returned to besiege. They aggravated the ransom of the more wealthy, or the more obstinate, and Chalcis alone was taxed at five thousand ounces of gold, five thousand ounces of silver, two thousand robes of silk, and as many figs and olives as would loathe five thousand asses. 
but the terms of truce or capitulation were faithfully observed, and the lieutenant of the caliph, who had promised not to enter the walls of the captive Baalbek, remained tranquil and immovable in his tent, till the jarring faction solicited the interposition of a foreign master. The conquest of the plain and valley of Syria was achieved in less than two years. Yet the commander of the faithful reproved the slowness of their progress, and the Saracens, bewailing their fault with tears of rage and repentance, called aloud on their chiefs to lead them forth to fight the battles of the Lord. In a recent action, under the walls of Amisa, an Arabian youth, the cousin of Khalid, was heard aloud to exclaim, Methinks I see the black-eyed girls looking upon me, one of whom, should she appear in this world, all mankind would die for love of her. And I see in the hand of one of them a handkerchief of green silk, and a cap of precious stones, and she beckons me, and calls out, Come hither quickly, for I love thee. With these words, charging the Christians, he made havoc wherever he went, till observed at length by the governor of Hames, he was struck through with a javelin. It was incumbent on the Saracens to exert the full powers of their valour and enthusiasm against the forces of the emperor, who was taught, by repeated losses, that the rovers of the desert had undertaken, and would speedily achieve, a regular and permanent conquest. From the provinces of Europe and Asia, fourscore thousand soldiers were transported by sea and land to Antioch and Caesarea. The light troops of the army consisted of sixty thousand Christian Arabs of the tribe of Ghassan. Under the banner of Jabala, the last of their princes, they marched in the van, and it was a maxim of the Greeks that for the purpose of cutting diamond, a diamond was the most effectual. Heraclius withheld his person from the dangers of the field, but his presumption, or perhaps his despondency, suggested a peremptory order, that the fate of the province and the war should be decided by a single battle. The Syrians were attached to the standard of Rome and of the cross, but the noble, the citizen, the peasant, were exasperated by the injustice and cruelty of a licentious host, who oppressed them as subjects, and despised them as strangers and aliens. A report of these mighty preparations was conveyed to the Saracens in their camp of Emesa, and the chiefs, though resolved to fight, assembled a council. The faith of Abu Abiedah would have expected on the same spot the glory of martyrdom, the wisdom of Khalid advised an honourable retreat to the skirts of Palestine and Arabia, where they might await the succours of their friends, and the attack of the unbelievers. A speedy messenger soon returned from the throne of Medina, with the blessings of Omar and Ali, the prayers of the widows of the Prophet, and a reinforcement of eight thousand Muslims. In their way they overturned a detachment of Greeks, and when they joined at Yermuk the camp of their brethren, they found the pleasing intelligence that Khalid had already defeated and scattered the Christian Arabs of the tribe of Ghassan. In the neighbourhood of Basra, the springs of Mount Hermon descend in a torrent to the plain of Decapolis, or Ten Cities, and the Hiromax, a name which has been corrupted to Yarmuk, is lost, after a short course, in the lake of Tiberias. The banks of this obscure stream were illustrated by a long and bloody encounter. On the momentous occasion, the public voice and the modesty of Abu Abiedah restored the command to the most deserving of Muslims. Khalid assumed his station in the front, his colleague was posted in the rear, that the disorder of the fugitive might be checked by his venerable aspect, and the sight of the yellow banner which Mohammed had displayed before the walls of Khaibar. The last line was occupied by the sister of Darar, with the Arabian women who had enlisted in this holy war 
who were accustomed to wield the bow and the lance, and who in a moment of captivity had defended, against the uncircumcised ravishers, their chastity and religion. The exhortation of the generals was brief and forcible. Paradise is before you, the devil and hell-fire in your rear. Yet such was the weight of the Roman cavalry that the right wing of the Arabs was broken and separated from the main body. Thrice did they return in disorder, and thrice were they driven back to the charge by the reproaches and blows of the women. In the intervals of action, Abu Abiyadah visited the tents of his brethren, prolonged their repose by repeating at once the prayers of two different hours, bound up their wounds with his own hands, and administered the comfortable reflection that the infidels partook of their sufferings without partaking of their reward. Four thousand and thirty of the Muslims were buried in the field of battle, and the skill of the Armenian archers enabled seven hundred to boast that they had lost an eye in that meritorious service. The veterans of the Syrian war acknowledged that it was the hardest and most doubtful of the days which they had seen. But it was likewise the most decisive. Many thousands of the Greeks and Syrians fell by the sword of the Arabs. Many were slaughtered, after the defeat, in the woods and mountains. Many, by mistaking the ford, were drowned in the waters of the Yermuk, and however the loss may be magnified, the Christian writers confess and bewail the bloody punishment of their sins. Manuel, the Roman general, was either killed at Damascus or took refuge in the monastery of Mount Sinai. An exile in the Byzantine court, Jabala lamented the manners of Arabia, and his unlucky preference of the Christian cause. He had once inclined to the profession of Islam, but in the pilgrimage of Mecca, Jabala was provoked to strike one of his brethren, and fled with amazement from the stern and equal justice of the caliph. These victorious Saracens enjoyed at Damascus a month of pleasure and repose. The spoil was divided by the discretion of Abu Abiyadah, an equal share was allotted to a soldier and to his horse, and a double portion was reserved for the noble coursers of the Arabian breed. After the battle of Yermuk, the Roman army no longer appeared in the field, and the Saracens might securely choose, among the fortified towns of Syria, the first object of their attack. They consulted the caliph whether they should march to Caesarea or Jerusalem, and the advice of Ali determined the immediate siege of the latter. To a profane eye, Jerusalem was the first or second capital of Palestine, but after Mecca and Medina it was revered and visited by the devout Muslims, as the temple of the Holy Land which had been sanctified by the revelation of Moses, of Jesus, and of Mohammed himself. The son of Abu Sofyan was sent with five thousand Arabs to try the first experiment of surprise or treaty, but on the eleventh day the town was invested by the whole force of Abu Abiyadah. He addressed the customary summons to the chief commanders and people of Aliyah. Health and happiness to every one that follows the right way. We require of you to testify that there is but one God, and that Mohammed is his apostle. If you refuse this, consent to pay tribute, and be under us forthwith. Otherwise I shall bring men against you who love death better than you do the drinking of wine or eating hog's flesh. Nor will I ever stir from you, if it pleases God, till I have destroyed those that fight for you, and made slaves of your children. But the city was defended on every side by deep valleys and steep ascents. Since the invasion of Syria, the walls and towers had been anxiously restored, the bravest of the fugitives of Yermuk had stopped in the nearest place of refuge, and in the defence of the sepulchre of Christ the natives and strangers might feel some sparks of the enthusiasm which so fiercely glowed in the bosoms of the Saracens. The siege of Jerusalem lasted four months. 
not a day was lost without some action of sally or assault the military engines incessantly played from the ramparts and the inclemency of the winter was still more painful and destructive to the arabs the christians yielded at length to the perseverance of the besiegers the patriarch Sophronius appeared on the walls, and by the voice of an interpreter demanded a conference. After a vain attempt to dissuade the lieutenant of the caliph from his impious enterprise, he proposed, in the name of the people, a fair capitulation, with this extraordinary clause, that the articles of security should be ratified by the authority and presence of Omar himself. The question was debated in the council of Medina, the sanctity of the place, and the advice of Ali, persuaded the caliph to gratify the wishes of his soldiers and enemies, and the simplicity of his journey is more illustrious than the royal pageants of vanity and oppression. The conqueror of Persia and Syria was mounted on a red camel, which carried, besides his person, a bag of corn, a bag of dates, a wooden dish, and a leathern bottle of water. Wherever he halted, the company, without distinction, was invited to partake of his homely fare, and the repast was consecrated by the prayer and exhortation of the commander of the faithful. But in this expedition or pilgrimage, his power was exercised in the administration of justice. He reformed the licentious polygamy of the Arabs, relieved the tributaries from extortion and cruelty, and chastised the luxury of the Saracens, by despoiling them of their rich silks, and dragging them on their faces in the dirt. When he came within sight of Jerusalem, the caliph cried with a loud voice, God is victorious! O oh Lord, give us an easy conquest!" And pitching his tent of coarse hair, calmly seated himself on the ground. After signing the capitulation, he entered the city without fear or precaution, and courteously discoursed with the patriarch concerning its religious antiquities. Sophronius bowed before his new master, and secretly muttered, in the words of Daniel, The abomination of desolation is in the holy place. At the hour of prayer they stood together in the Church of the Resurrection, but the caliph refused to perform his devotions, and contented himself with praying on the steps of the Church of Constantine. To the patriarch he disclosed his prudent and honourable motive. "'Had I yielded,' said Omar, "'to your request, the Muslims of a future age would have infringed the treaty under a colour of imitating my example. By his command the ground of the Temple of Solomon was prepared for the foundation of a mosque, and during a residence of ten days, he regulated the present and future state of his Syrian conquests. Medina might be jealous, lest the caliph should be detained by the sanctity of Jerusalem, or the beauty of Damascus. Her apprehensions were dispelled by his prompt and voluntary return to the tomb of the apostle. To achieve what yet remained of the Syrian war, the caliph had formed two separate armies. A chosen detachment, under Amru and Yazid, was left in the camp of Palestine, while the larger division, under the standard of Abu Obadiah and Khalid, marched away to the north against Antioch and Aleppo. The latter of these, the Berea of the Greeks, was not yet illustrious as the capital of a province or a kingdom, and the inhabitants, by anticipating their submission and pleading their poverty, obtained a moderate composition for their lives and religion. But the castles of Aleppo, distinct from the city, stood erect on a lofty artificial mound, the sides were sharpened to a precipice, and faced with freestone, and the breadth of the ditch might be filled with water from the neighbouring springs. After the loss of three thousand men, the garrison was still equal to the defence, and Yukina, their valiant and hereditary chief, had murdered his brother, a holy monk, for daring to pronounce the name of peace. In a siege of four or five months, the hardest of the Syrian war, great numbers of the Saracens were killed and wounded. 
their removal to the distance of a mile could not seduce the vigilance of Yukina, nor could the Christians be terrified by the execution of three hundred captives, whom they beheaded before the castle wall. The silence, and at length the complaints, of Abu Obeida informed the caliph that their hope and patience were consumed at the foot of this impregnable fortress. "'I am variously affected,' replied Omar, "'by the difference of your success. But I charge you by no means to raise the siege of the castle. Your retreat would diminish the reputation of our arms, and encourage the infidels to fall upon you on all sides. Remain before Aleppo till God shall determine the event, and forage with your horse round the adjacent country.' The exhortation of the commander of the faithful was fortified by a supply of volunteers from all the tribes of Arabia, who arrived in camp on their horses or camels. Among these was Dames, of a servile birth, but of gigantic size and intrepid resolution. The forty-seventh day of his service he proposed, with only thirty men, to make an attempt on the castle. The experience and testimony of Khalid recommended his offer, and Abu Abieda admonished his brethren not to despise the baser origin of Dames, since he himself, could he relinquish the public care, would cheerfully serve under the banner of the slave. His design was covered by the appearance of a retreat, and the camp of the Saracens was pitched about a league from Aleppo. The thirty adventurers lay in ambush at the foot of the hill, and Dames at length succeeded in his inquiries, though he was provoked by the ignorance of his Greek captives. "'God curse these dogs!' said the illiterate Arab. "'What a strange, barbarous language they speak!' At the darkest hour of the night he scaled the most accessible height, which he had diligently surveyed, a place where the stones were less entire, or the slope less perpendicular, or the guard less vigilant." seven of the stoutest saracens mounted on each other's shoulders and the weight of the column was sustained on the broad and sinewy back of the gigantic slave the foremost in this painful ascent could grasp and climb the lowest part of the battlements they silently stabbed and cast down the sentinels and the thirty brethren repeating a pious ejaculation o apostle of god help and deliver us were successfully drawn up by the long folds of their turbans with bold and cautious footsteps, Dames explored the palace of the governor, who celebrated, in riotous merriment, the festival of his deliverance. From thence, returning to his companions, he assaulted on the inside the entrance of the castle. They overpowered the guard, unbolted the gate, let down the drawbridge, and defended the narrow pass, till the arrival of Khalid, with the dawn of day, relieved their danger and assured their conquest. Yukina, a formidable foe, became an active and useful proselyte, and the general of the Saracens expressed his regard for the most humble merit, by detaining the army at Aleppo till Dames was cured of his honourable wounds. The capital of Syria was still covered by the castle of Ezaz and the iron bridge of the Orontes. After the loss of these important posts, and the defeat of the last of the Roman armies, the luxury of Antioch trembled and obeyed. Her safety was ransomed with three hundred thousand pieces of gold, but the throne of the successors of Alexander, the seat of the Roman government of the East, which had been decorated by Caesar with the titles of free and holy and inviolate, was degraded under the yoke of the caliphs to the secondary rank of a provincial town. In the life of Heraclius, the glories of the Persian War are clouded on either hand by the disgrace and weariness of his more early and his later days. When the successors of Mohammed unsheathed the sword of war and religion, he was astonished at the boundless prospect of toil and danger. His nature was indolent, nor could the infirm and frigid age of the emperor be kindled to a second effort. 
the sense of shame and the importunities of the Syrians, prevented the hasty departure from the scene of action, but the hero was no more, and the loss of Damascus and Jerusalem, the bloody fields of Aznadin and Yermuk, may be imputed in some degree to the absence or misconduct of the sovereign. Instead of defending the sepulchre of Christ, he involved the church and state in a metaphysical controversy for the unity of his will, and while Heraclius crowned the offspring of his second nuptials, he was tamely stripped of the most valuable part of their inheritance. In the cathedral of Antioch, in the presence of the bishops, at the foot of the crucifix, he bewailed the sins of the prince and people, but his confession instructed the world, that it was vain, and perhaps impious, to resist the judgment of God. The Saracens were invincible in fact, since they were invincible in opinion, and the desertion of Eukina, his false repentance and repeated perfidy, might justify the suspicion of the emperor, that he was encompassed by traitors and apostates, who conspired to betray his person and their country to the enemies of Christ. In the hour of adversity his superstition was agitated by the omens and dreams of a falling crown, and after bidding an eternal farewell to Syria, he secretly embarked with a few attendants, and absolved the faith of his subjects. Constantine, his eldest son, had been stationed with forty thousand men at Caesarea, the civil metropolis of the three provinces of Palestine. But his private interest recalled him to the Byzantine court, and after the flight of his father he felt himself an unequal champion to the united force of the caliph. His vanguard was boldly attacked by three hundred Arabs and a thousand black slaves, who, in the depth of winter, had climbed the snowy mountains of Libanus, and who were speedily followed by the victorious squadrons of Khalid himself. From the north and south the troops of Antioch and Jerusalem advanced along the seashore, till their banners were joined under the walls of the Phoenician cities. Tripoli and Tyre were betrayed, and a fleet of fifty thousand transports, which entered without distrust the captive harbours, brought a seasonable supply of arms and provisions to the camp of the Saracens. Their labours were terminated by the unexpected surrender of Caesarea, the Roman prince had embarked in the night, and the defenceless citizens solicited their pardon with an offering of two hundred thousand pieces of gold. The remainder of the province, Ramla, Ptolemaeus, or Acre, Sikkim, or Neapolis, Gaza, Ascalon, Berytus, Sidon, Gabala, Laodicea, Apamea, Hieriopolis, no longer presumed to dispute the will of the conqueror, and Syria bowed under the sceptre of the caliphs seven hundred years after Pompey had despoiled the last of the Macedonian kings. End of chapter 51, part 5